Welcome to another episode of Where in the Folk. I'm Bree. This is Cecil. And we've got Tully with us. What are we talking about today? Before we get started, though, how's everybody been? Reed, this is your first time back in a while. Me and Tully's been hanging out. Been good. Been good. Got dogs coming out the demon hole. Uh, what kind of dogs you got? German Shepherd Velociraptors. German Shepherd Velociraptors. Um, have you seen any that's been walking on their hind legs or anything? No, not yet, but we're working on there's, it. There's been a lot of deers doing that lately. Yeah. Um, they call them false deers or fall deers or something like that. I've seen uh, probably over the last month at least four or five videos of deers standing up like to walk. I've seen, I've seen a couple that's more shaped to where they extended their body or their neck. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's I'm weird. Not seeing those videos, of course. I've been a little out of touch lately, but your TikTok's different algorithm than our TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my FYP goes from conspiracies to funny stuff to what was it yesterday uh husband calling contests yeah. <laughs> women like calling their husbands or something mine goes from a uh, conspiracy to the world's ending in three days <laughs> that's pretty much all i get from it so i'm in a constant state of fear when i'm on tiktok <laughs> My, mine is mostly pets doing stupid shit <laughs> that's what that's what i get on every video anyway um, so today we're discussing a man who seems to have avoided infamy that typically comes with serial killers. As we move through the life and the crimes of this man, a lot of information may be tongue in cheek. I'll be honest. <laughs> when you pitched this idea, I, which, you know, first and foremost, do not keep up with true crime, but I had never heard of this guy. A lot of people haven't. If you're in the true crime community, though, I'm, I assume everybody's heard of him at this point. He, I mean, for the body count, yeah, he gets like zero publicity. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the information that's floating around about him, too, comes directly from him. So a lot of it may not be, you know, the most truthful things that's ever been mentioned, but a lot of truth has been found so far in what he said. So well, today we're going to be discussing Samuel Little, Little, Little. He was a nomadic serial killer that ranged in the Midwest. He actually floated around Tully's area a little bit. Yep. Uh, a lot in Florida, a lot in Texas and Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. He even, at one point, he made his way out to California. The early life is where we'll start with him. On the seventh day of June in 1940 in Reynolds, Georgia, Samuel McDowell was born to a 16-year-old prostitute by his own words by the name of Bessie May Little and a 19-year-old stud by the name of Paul <laughs> McCall, supposedly. A 19-year-old stud. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, this is one of the things that I wanted to throw a note out there to everybody. Heard a census record at the time, Bessie was a maid. So he says prostitute, census had made, I don't trust the government, so we go with prostitute. So it's believed that Samuel may have been born in jail because Betsy was known to be in there quite a bit. Um, she was always out there raising hell in some form or fashion. Soon after Samuel was brought into the world, um, they moved to Lorraine, Ohio. Per Samuel's own words, he was abandoned by the side of the road on the dirt road. 
And then his grandmother took him took him in and started raising for him. Uh, since it was up in there who his dad was, they just decided to give him the last name Little. So when it comes to this, this is a pretty standard thing when it comes to serial killers, right? Abandonment issues and mommy issues. Well, I do want to say that Paul must have been on his birth certificate because every booking he had was still under the Dow name. Really? Little Little was an alias on the court documents. Hmm. So they just never changed it, probably. Yeah. Like legally. It was never, yeah, never his true legal name. With his mother being in and out of his life, you know, it caused a big strain on him. Uh, one verbal altercation between Bessie and his grandmother revealed that Bessie just never wanted him and should have aborted him. By Little's own account, he began having fantasies of the sexy nature when he was a little child. Now, I've heard a couple different things about how this started, but these fantasies always included strangling women. Uh, Little states that the fam- the fantasy became prominent when he seen his t- his kindergarten teacher touch her neck in an also sensual way. Another account that I read though was that it came from a little girl in his third grade class that did it. So he was into the necks. He was into the necks, and apparently that he get- apparently he got all this from uh, those true crime novels that Ted Bundy actually referenced. It's weird. Like <clears throat> I don't remember much about kindergarten. Like just very vague, like memories of learning the alphabet, stuff like that. It's it's very strange to me that a five year old could have those kind of thoughts without being taught such things. I actually remember kindergarten better than I remember like two years ago. Only thing I remember about kindergarten is getting pants in the bathroom one time. That's about all I remember. I can remember kindergarten quite. Well, yeah, I mean, there's bits and pieces, but I mean, if you guys think about what you were learning at the time, like, I feel like to have those kind of fantasies at five years old, you've had to have been taught that from somewhere. Yeah. Because you can't read. So he's not reading fantasy novels. Well, these true com magazines that they had were like pictured magazines, right? Like they were basically like comics in a way, right? I don't know. Um, I don't know either. Because Ted Bundy mentions them as being one of the things that led him to doing his crimes as well. Um, they talk just, about strangling women, finding women strangled, and all that. What stuff. I'm thinking is that maybe did it say how old he was when he was abandoned? Uh, he was a baby. That's when his uh, grandmother picked him up. While he was in grade school, he still lived with his grandmother. He just well, said that one problems. It said that his mom was in and out of his life. I'm just wondering if maybe he saw like something of her, like if she was tooting, yeah. like maybe, maybe he saw some of that and that's what uh, gave him some ideas about that stuff. Well, you know, it could be like a Manson situation. Now, Manson was raised in uh, what they referred to back in the day, which I don't <clears throat> with, but it's called a whorehouse. Um. You know, he's seen all kinds of stuff like that. So being the child of a prostitute is quite possible. You've seen some pretty unique situations. He may, uh, he may have seen uh, mom on the job. I mean, it, it does, does make sense that as he grew up, that he probably discovered like true crime comics and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. if he already had kind of fantasies from stuff that he might have saw, the reinforcement from violence towards women in those bag- magazines could have definitely made an impact on it. For sure. I mean, 
I mean, when you're a kid, you are susceptible to things, but you know, some people, most people don't act on them. Like when I was a kid, you know, I, I wasn't trying to jump over lava pits with snakes in them, like in the games I would play, but you know, I thought it was cool, but he always had his, he always had, he was a rambunctious little lad and he always had trouble and he's always getting disciplined. I would assume that's just, you know, boys being boys. I was always real rambunctious and I've got my tail busted a few times. Fist fighting and spitting in teachers' faces and stuff, you know. That's what kids do. Trying to set the cat on fire. Yeah. It also says a lot because we're talking about the fifties here. The late forties, early fifties. So I mean, it really I'm sure they didn't care much about some of the stuff that he was doing. So to get in like actual trouble. He really had to be screwing up. He probably just wasn't listening and just being all around mean. There's not a whole lot more I could find about his youth, like his true youth. Did any of you find anything? Not a whole lot. There's not a lot about mm-hmm. the guy, really. Like, And that's kind of another thing that throws me off about Samuel Little and him. I would consider him one of the more, more prolific serial killers as far as like body count and things like that goes. Um, but there's not a whole lot about him yet. And I think it's just because it's so recent that all this came out about him. Imagine if he, I mean, well, spoiler alert, he's dead now. Yeah. But imagine if they would have got to him a little earlier in life and got a few more of the stories and a little more information because he was pretty old by the time he got, arrested and and then eventually confessed to a lot of these murders yeah exactly we need to to start thinking about what point he could have been mk ultra too (laughs) yeah exactly that's uh, as we know we we tend to travel on the fringe side of things and i don't really believe in luck when it comes to committing a series of crimes and never serving significant time but we're going to see that's a reoccurring thing that happens to samuel little got arrested over a hundred times yeah and served less than what eight years all together i would also did you find any was there anything about him being involved in um any sort of psychiatric stuff like or being on any sort of medications no, he was definitely medicated. <laughs> but well, <laughs> I just like you, you guys know about the trend where you know, killers and uh, even some of the mass shooters, like uh, a very high percentage of them are on uh, stuff like Prozac. Yeah. No, I don't think Prozac would have been a thing when when he was younger i'm well, not sure when was, or uh, or lithium or you know what i mean like just something but anyway we're moving moving on uh little's behavioral problems they did continue into into hawthorne junior high school um from the reports i've read it was um your typical young heathen problems like cussing fighting ditching school etc uh, due to this, he wasn't really able to achieve much during his uh, time and the standardized school system, which is uh, developed to make us all very complacent <laughs> in our lives. 
uh, it said during the time that he picked up the hobby of competitive boxing and won prizes at school level. In February of 1954, Samuel Little committed what was known as his first crime when he stole a bike and he was convicted to the Boys Institute School on the outskirts of Columbus, Ohio. Within the year and a half that Samuel Little was at the Boys Institute School, he had 47 disciplinary infractions. I can't say them words. Disciplinary infractions. Infractions. <laughs> Do you know that one of the first drugs for psychiatric uh, use was heroin? No, Thorazine back oh. in 1950. So psychiatric been, drugs were basically brand new when he came into this world. Yeah. I'm wondering the the boys industrial school does give me Manson vibes a little bit. Well, this is another thing that's strange about it. Um, most of the ones that have been in the boys industrial schools and things of this nature talk about how awful it was, the hard times they had and things like that. Samuel Little really never had any kind of issue with it. Never really talked about being abused or anything like that, but he had 47 infractions. I mean, any maybe, other he, was, maybe he was thriving in that environment. Maybe he was the bully kid, you know, that. Well, I mean, he might have been, been the bully kid, but usually when it comes to these boys' schools back then, it wasn't the kids that were the problem. It was the staff beating yeah. them to death and doing like all kinds of cruel shit to them. After leaving the reformatory school, Little became a bit of a wanderer. This led to Little's first major conviction in 1956 in Omaha, Nebraska. He was charged with breaking and entering and with burglary. Um, Little was sentenced and held in an institution for juvenile offenders for four years. Now, this is the strange thing about him. I know we're going to be covering it again. Whenever it seems like he served as much time as a kid as he did as an adult. Four years in juvie, that's a long time. Yeah. Maybe that helped him to not get caught in the future. You know what I mean? Like, maybe that was motivation the school of crime well that that's that's the whole thing he did get caught time and time again like but it was always for shoplifting breaking right. entering, shit like that that's true so being the nomadic type after he got out of the school which there's not really you know again there's not really much tell from him being in the school and he hadn't from what i could find he didn't really have any words about it there may be something out there that somebody else knows. If there is, please let us know. We'll revisit in the future and clear up anything. But as of today, on the research I've done, I couldn't find anything, uh, any negative statements he made about being in school, like in these reformatories. And Not at all. Nature. As he was a nomad type, he traveled state to state where he would uh, be sort of like a jack-of-all-trades when it came to crime. Everything from driving over the speed limit, armed robbery, rape, you know, and I hate to say it again, but et cetera, <laughs> because it is a little bit of everything sprinkled in. Um, Lil's day of release from the institution for the juvenile offenders was not able to be located, like I stated earlier. But it was not, it's estimated that not long after his crime, after he's released, he continued his crimes, like I stated as well. In 1961, he was convicted for his first big boy crime. Lil broke into Lorraine Furniture Store. In this case, Lane was, Little was sentenced to three years at the Big Boy Jail. 
Then as time will develops his love for drawing, which will come back into play later into his life. And then he was released uh, this time in 1964. When did they start getting into, do you know, Dave, when they started getting into fingerprinting real big? Fingerprinting. Let me look it up. Continue and I'll find out. Cause I mean, I, the fact uh, how many times he was arrested after that prison sentence, um, you would think if there was any evidence that these crime scenes, that they'd be able to just instantly connect it back to him. You would think so, but you know, I would say up until the early eighties or late eighties precincts didn't really talk to each other a whole lot. Like, well, I guess it's hard to have a database when it's all just paper. Yeah. Yeah, it was similar to the Wild West. Like, you could be in Montana and rob a bank, and if you made it to uh, Virginia, nobody in Virginia knew you robbed a bank. Like, you know, it might have been on the news up there, but it wasn't in the news down here. Well, I mean, fingerprinting's been known about and used back into the, shoot, back into the 8th century. Uh, But let's see. Looks like in the 1800s is when they first started maybe using it let's see when the first trial was it just keeps being more it's getting more and more suspicious at how many times he was arrested that he never got penned for this stuff exactly because i mean think about it i'm they they claim the three strike law that they came up with was because of things like this which we've learned is you know bullshit and it's on right that was developed to destroy, you know, the family community that everybody has and everything. But um, he was arrested so much. And like, like I said, you know, precincts don't talk to each other, but he was arrested in a couple places a few times, like in Ohio and places like this, like he was arre- like everywhere he got arrested, they should eventually been like, you know what? I was talking to Tim that works over in the next county. He rested this guy for this. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was in use, but I, it probably has a lot to do with the database was paper. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just thinking, though, like, even back then, if you had a cold case on a murder, you would think that, especially like someone with double digits of being arrested you would think they would compare like people like that. that They bring in just to see, like to try to get your cold case warm. You know what I mean? You would think, but I don't know, man. Like until they started actually researching serial killers and things like that, it was kind of, they, they seemed as kind of weird that anybody would even be a serial killer to my understanding, like a serious killer. Like they didn't really tie like, crime to crime well, yeah the the term serial killer came later on like when what well, i forget what the show is on netflix but they've got a documentary or, or like a doc what's well, not doc it's the docuseries it's uh, based on the real deal yeah it's the fbi hunter oh, where man, the dude, man where, yeah where he profiles and he somebody around him coined the term serial killer i think that was in the 60s or 70s well, series, it used to be called a series killer, like they killed in series and then so forth and so on. So, um, 
1966, the first account of violence toward a woman that is on record, but we more than likely has occurred several times before. Yeah. I mean, you kind of don't wait till you're in your twenties to start this kind of stuff. Uh, little was arrested for assault and battery in Cleveland, Ohio, but he did not serve not any time for this, just arrested for it. And this was in 66. So in the late sixties, he moved in, he moved in with his mother down there in Florida where he was on again and off again as an employee at a cemetery, a cemetery. He was, uh, I guess he was a grave digger or probably like a maintenance man or something, you know, ground. Something else that's weird is like, how is he paying for all these arrests? Like all these fines and bonds and. Like, that's a lot of money. Just moving, but, moving and moving. Moving, 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 moving. I mean, who's to say he paid his fines? You know what I mean? Like, I know I know a couple of people that live around me right now has had some outstanding fines for a few years. <laughs> and, you know, that's a fear of mine from my youth. Like, I'm afraid one day I'm going to get pulled over and they're going to be like, hey, you're just fine from two thousand and three like what the hell i thought i paid that man <laughs> like that's still something that could happen to anybody like imagine you know when you got arrested you forgot to pay 12 extra bucks that you owed that could come back to get you at any time you never know i had a parking ticket or was it a parking either a parking ticket or speeding ticket that come back to get me from north carolina when i lived there so it's like, <laughs> oh no and the thing is like you know you can be arrested. You can be pulled over time and time again between that and never know. And then that one day, that one dude just takes that extra little step. <laughs> uh, uh, someone recently told me that they were on their way back from the north northeast and made it home. Everything's fine, and then like three weeks later, gets a a letter in the mail. It's like you have a speeding ticket in XX County <laughs> for like $400. And it's like our camera observed you speeding, snapped your license plate, and you now owe $400. And if you want to contest this, you have to come to the, the place that was like five hours away. So it's yeah. like either pay the pay the $500 or whatever it was or – you have to drive five hours to argue it with them. You know what would happen? My ass would be sitting in court. <laughs> I'd be driving that whole way. I'm like, sir, I brought my lawyer with me. <laughs> then Reed step out in a suit. <laughs> but that's almost like, I feel like that's an example of technology being abused. Oh yeah, for sure. Similar to what I would think would be entrapment, but I'm not a lawyer. I think it's all a big money grab. Well, of course it is. It's the government. Everything they do is a way to take money from us and put it in their pockets. I mean, am I wrong? Negative. Negative. I mean, that's that's the that's the capitalism for you, baby. <laughs> I think if we uh... take from the poor and give to the rich. So as I was saying, he was, he was a cemetery working worker. And he also claims that he was an ambulance attendant. Um, this were where this is quite where little would go from being a vagrant to a full blown motor. I wonder if he was doing any, um, 
shady stuff as the ambulance worker. Like it's, I felt like it'd be pretty easy to kill somebody that's already in a vulnerable position. You know, um, watching a movie by the name of Mr. Brooks taught me something about cemetery workers and these people that work at these cemeteries. That seems like, uh, the most effective way to be a serial killer. Um, because you've always got a hole dug and you can just chuck somebody down in that hole and throw some dirt on top of them. And the next day somebody else gets put on top of them and more dirt. They're gone. How long was he a cemetery worker? Well, you know, there's really no indication of it. It was off again and on again. I'm assuming that he was one of these dudes like, um, where we came from, we would have people that walked up and down the road, you know, and they were, you know, known to be people that partook in substances and things of this nature. And they just randomly walk up, like, hey, man, can I cut your grass for $20? And you'd be like, yeah, go ahead, you know. So I think he's probably a cat like that, like where he'd just show up to the graveyard, like, you need to leaves right? Do you need grass mode or anything? Probably. Wouldn't you think that's what it is? Yeah, I mean, to your point, there's actually a lot more of that going on now. Um, I'm about ready to start doing. I'm about ready to start walking up down the road this summer and be like, "You need your grass mode." <laughs> well, down there, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but out-of-state investors have opened like 27 rehab centers that people from all over the United States come to. Yeah, and if they fell out of that program. They don't go back. They are literally just homeless at that point. Wow. So that's how, especially down there, if you've noticed in Manchester and London, a lot more people walking. Yeah. Um, that's what's happening. They're, they're getting into those programs and they're failing out and not going back to where they came from. Wow. That makes sense, man. There's a lot of them. If you, I mean, I noticed yeah. it. Because it's, I mean, and, and everybody's excited about it because of the revenue, but nobody thought about the downstream impact it would have on the community. There was a lot of homeless people starting to show up and used to, you would never see anything like that around here because everybody's got somebody to stay with, you know, where, or, you know, we've got a little shanty town going up in behind uh, the huddle house and that car wash. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I'm all for people getting clean, but I and people trying to improve their life. But if they fell out of those programs, there needs to be some sort of fail safe because uh, so many people are also getting killed on the roads, like getting hit by cars. Um, you know, I've seen people with small children, very similar to the, you know, Sam Little stuff. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this particular series up for our part two. When we get into the killings that began of Samuel Little. Come back for part two. Come back for part two. Um, and, you know, uh, check out Weird. Check me and Tolly out every Friday live on every platform you can watch live shit on. Weird um, realities, weird awakenings. Weird, weird weird realities, weird awakenings is the name of the show we do. That's on weird realities. I'm weird, sure. with, weird with a Y. W-Y-R-D. Yep. Really? Dave, you need to you need to come on a Friday sometime. Yeah. I will. Come on down. We'll talk. We could do this we could do this same setup. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean that's why I did this. 
so I could have my buddy with me. <laughs> <laughs> the other day we talked about time travel, so even if you didn't catch it live, you can most certainly go back and view it again. This is the past. Yeah, we're talking about the future, and in the future, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the past. This is time travel. This is technically the definition <laughs> of time travel. Mind blown. right now. And uh, thank you for watching us. You obviously you know where to find us. If you're watching this right now, we're everywhere. You can find video platforms and listening platforms. And thank you for watching us because we're watching you.